Hello and welcome to episode 133 of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and for this episode I'm joined by drummer Peter Cogan. Peter's album Just Before Midnight is out now and the title track is what you're listening to now. This track features Peter's septet. This is a beautiful album and I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation about it and life and everything that Peter can share. Hi Peter. Hi Hilary. How are nice. you? Good, nice to meet you. You too, very good. Where, where are you recording from? So I'm in Hertfordshire, about 30 miles north of London. Wow, that's nice. Uh, whereabouts are you? I'm in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is okay. right in, in the middle of the northern United States. Yeah. Uh, right, right in the center. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Excellent. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for joining me on Harmonious World. I'm really grateful. I'm delighted to join you. Absolutely. Um, I love this album. Thank you. So it's called Just Before Midnight. I, there are so many things about it I like. So I'll, I'll tell you what they are, first of all. I like okay. the fact that it's got lots of different outfits. You've got lots and lots of different musicians involved, and, and I love that. But as part of the um, preparing for this, I looked at the press release, and it says... While there are some stylistic nods to classic Blue Note and Impulse recordings of the 1960s, Kogan never falls back on the easy but tired formula of song slash bunch of solos over the song's chord progression slash song once more and out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true, that there's a, there's a very different approach. So where does that come from? Um, I guess uh, being familiar with that, standard format when I was writing these tunes I never just assumed that the players would would play the exact chord progressions that are in the uh, the head or the the melody of the tune and um so I would immediately think of what would be a good improvising template for the players that reflects the harmonic language of the tune, but it's not necessarily an exact replication of the, the melody or head of the tune. So um, that, was, that was one of the more uh, uh, fun things to do, uh, to kind of extract a very playable chord progression, you know, from the tune itself. And, and, and that was sort of the idea, you know. Um, and so I've, I've used that a lot in my, in my composing over the last few years. Uh, I've started to do that more, partly because it's a lot of fun and also because it makes for a better, you know, a better template for the players to improvise on. So that's sort of where that came from. Right. Um, yeah, that's really interesting because there, there tends to be a, you know, an assumption that, and, and I know some of my, some of my listeners aren't necessarily musicians, but you know, there's there sort of tends to be an assumption that the improvised bits of jazz 
mm-hmm. follow the same structure as you know so it goes verse chorus verse chorus right, and then right. the soloist does verse chorus verse chorus and then it comes <laughs> back in verse you know right right and yeah to do something different for the improv- improvised bit is really interesting thank you i'm, I'm glad you like it uh, i've had a lot of fun with that and i think the players are, are are more comfortable with it too particularly if the tune itself is a little bit com- complex and uh I did that earlier with a few compositions, and then on this recording, I guess a good number of them have that. Uh, pow, 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 yeah. Uh, pow, 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 yeah. There's four pows I always forget. Uh, uh, it has a very similar kind of chordal language for the improv, but but it's uh, it's uh, slightly different than the, the structure of the tune was rather complicated. So this simplifies the structure into like, four bar, eight bar phrases and allows the players to be really comfortable. Uh, in something like uh, Isle of Kai, which is a, has a very, very long structure, uh, I think I was able to get it down to 24 bars to get the feeling of the tune for the, there's some short improvs in the middle of that, uh, that tune. And uh, I was able to really squeeze it down to, to make it very comfortable and fun for the players after because there was a lot of reading in that chart, it's a very long chart. Uh, so um, this was, you know, a relaxing spot in the middle of the tune. Yeah, and I think also what it what it does is it means that the the improvisation, yes, it has a relevance and a and a relativity to the tune, but it doesn't doesn't just kind of play around with the tune. Right. Thanks for noticing. Appreciate <laughs> <laughs> that you like that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I like that as a listener, but also I, you know, obviously I haven't played your pieces, but I can imagine that that would be nice because it gives you more of a freedom, I think, more of a, mm-hmm. um, you know, a sense of, of being able to be inspired by the tune, but not replicate it. Right. Right. So tell me about how this album got recorded, how the different sessions, because obviously with different groups for different tracks, right. Right. Okay. That, you made it complicated. All right. Well, uh, during the COVID period uh, and during the lockdown we had here in the United States, I did a lot of writing. It was like a great opportunity to finish compositions that I had started or ideas that I had had. And then a few things came to me during during that time. So um, by the time we were ready to start playing again, and I had been playing in my backyard <laughs> outdoors over the that summer, but... Um, I had two bands that I had been playing with over the last few years, a a quintet with sax trumpet and rhythm section and a septet, which added guitar and trombone to that. And um, these compositions seemed to lend themselves to both groups. Um, So uh, I did, I had some engagements around town with the quintet and the septet. And after we had played through these tunes, the last one being composed in, I think, October, and that was I Dream of Danny playing the guitar. Um, I realized it was it was a good time to start recording. So um, in January of this year, um, we got into the studio uh, on three successive uh, Mondays and um, was able to record everything. Uh, first with the set with the quintet group. And then secondly, with the septet group. 
with a few uh, patch-ons, I think, uh, at the very end. And um, it was very efficient at this time. It, it was uh, my experience of having recorded three other albums really helped. Um, and uh, I was able to do this fairly efficiently. And then we, we did some mixing at the studio uh, over the next uh, couple of months. Um, there were the usual delays where we can't get have access and so on. And, uh, and there it was, you know, by the end of April, we had a, a, a record ready. And uh, I think it was released officially in June, but uh, it was actually already there in May. I had copies already and uh, um, very, very happy with my wonderful colleagues. Uh, just a, a lot of uh, very talented, you know, not famous people here in uh, St. Paul, Minnesota and Minneapolis. We're right next to Minneapolis. And um, was able to utilize these guys. Uh, some of them quite young, so it was really kind of neat. Uh, That's great. Recorded. Yeah, and I also like the fact that um, you know, I, I'm afraid I I'm a sax player, and I was brought up on drummer jokes. Okay. So you know, to hear to have a drummer who does the composition and the arranging, and you know, is 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 wonderful. I mean, I know you're not you're not the first, but right. it always. I always like it when you know you're not reverting back to the standards and things because mm -hmm. you've you've got that musicality and and uh, so where did you develop that composing and arranging skill? Um, I didn't go through the modern training thing with you know going to college and studying jazz. I uh, I was trained as a classical musician and I had a wonderful teacher growing up who worked on keyboard harmony with me and identifying chords and so on. So moving over to jazz uh, harmony was simply because I was attracted to it and I could understand it. Um, and, um, but I spent most of my uh, career as a classical timpanist, percussionist and timpanist. And uh, I was with the Minnesota Orchestra for 29 years as a principal timpanist. But during the last few years there, I, uh, I started uh, playing jazz with uh, friends and inviting people over. And uh, I had had a period in my life in the uh, early 1980s when I was freelancing as a drummer in New York City. And I had done some composing then. And uh, around 2010 or something, I started uh, going back to my compositions and I started writing again. And... Uh, all of a sudden, I had uh, enough for a recording, and uh, so I decided when I retired from the orchestra, I would just devote myself to jazz, and that's pretty much what I've been doing. I have some side uh, gigs, you might say, as uh, side hustles. I, I build Baroque timpani, things like that, but and I do play a little bit of that still. I do some Baroque uh, performances with my little Baroque timpani, but other than that, it's been the jazz thing. And uh, right. been very satisfying and a lot of fun. Very good. Uh, it's, that's that's it. Um, eye opening the uh, baroque versus jazz thing because uh, on the surface they're completely different. Yet actually, because baroque music was, um, you know, it wasn't the same sort of recording and and you know printing of music wasn't quite the same and and all of those sort of things that that I guess there was more. 
improvising or being told what to do at a particular moment that works then, but not necessarily another time. So I guess they're not that different, perhaps. Well, I think that one of the similarities that I enjoy is the rhythmic aspect of Baroque music. And particularly when the writing for, for kettle drums, uh, usually in those pieces, there's quite a, a groove going on. And uh, um, so that's kind of a fun part of the alternation I do. I mean, I do, you know, maybe two or three engagements a year with, uh, the, there's a local Baroque orchestra. There's a couple of different groups here in town. And uh, we do the Christmas Oratorio or the Messiah or um, a mass, you know, things, things like that. We did the B minor mass. Um, those things are wonderful, but most of my energy is right now on, on my, my groups. And I, I, uh, I have a wonderful opportunity now. Um, a new brewery opened in town and they're having me in once a month. And so every month I'm going to be bringing in a slightly different group of people to play, which gives me a chance to expand on uh, the players I use and uh, try different things. So that's uh, the most exciting thing happening this year. Having a That's very album. exciting. Yes. And I guess it's great for the musicians because they're playing perhaps with people they wouldn't otherwise play with, music right. that they wouldn't otherwise play, that sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's I fantastic. A, I have a group that uh, we call it episode four of uh, Bird and Diz Legacy Quintet. So what it is, is um, this will be our fourth engagement and we're just exploring the compositions by uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, of which there's quite a few. And uh, it, it makes for a nice two-set engagement. I mean, they're, and we're trying different tunes out at each, each engagement. So that's the next stop in October for me. Uh, and then in, um, in November, I have an uh, uh, engagement with a quartet with a wonderful local sax player named Brian Grivena, who's um, kind of the senior sax player in, in, the, in the Twin Cities community and uh, used to play with Buddy Rich. He was his lead alto and we're doing uh, tunes that he likes to play. So that's going to be a nice change of pace. And yeah, I have, yeah, I have an engagement in, in uh, January with a, a group that will be basically uh, trombone, guitar and rhythm section. So again, a slightly different configuration. And it goes right. on. Yeah, very good. It's interesting you're talking about, uh, you know, Lee Dalto from Buddy's Band, because I've got a couple of friends who were in the Buddy Rich Band sort of oh, okay. towards the end. Oh, towards and, the end, right. Yeah, and, and you know, he was a really demanding man. I mean, the stories are legendary, but oh, yes. but actually, you know, he got such amazing results that, you know, it's incredible. Oh, yes. Oh yes, yeah. like every drummer in the world just, you know, bows down yeah. and rich. I mean, it's just just such incredible finesse technique and his ideas and uh, you know, it's just a, a, such a level of drumming that's uh, yeah really to replicate. Yeah, and you talk about, you know, bird and diz and and the the legacy is I think because the history of jazz is sort of so so small into you know it's not like we're not going back to Bach and Mozart and Beethoven and you know all of that uh, there's it's such a richness 
of that legacy of the people that went before and how we can all build on that. It's it's uh, it's an amazing thing. I think the uh, that my favourite track on this is just before midnight, which is the title of the you know the title right. track. It sounds like it's a piano exercise, doesn't it? I guess it started that way. I think the opening of it with just piano alone, pretty much uh, with a little guitar, was the initial idea of these these um, chord progressions uh, based on to be technical. It's based on major thirds, and then going down a fifth, and then major thirds. But but it's it's a uh, uh, it's a uh, augmented. So it's an augmented triad that is created. In other words, so instead of having it C, E, G, it's C, E, G sharp. And then we go down to D flat. And um, so you basically hit every note of the piano by the time you go through the sequence. And then um, uh, I added some middle sections in between. And uh, it just turned into a composition based on the initial idea. And uh, and then somehow it became this raging, you know, race. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which was enormous fun for me. And, uh, um, and the guys uh, really did a great job. And actually, this is one where after the initial intro, we have the statement of... of the the chord changes which goes on for quite a while and i think for the improvisation i did stay with that on this one so that it's the same the same sequence of chords again it's slightly shortened for the improvisers but it's still pretty long and uh so i use that as as where the as the chord changes or the blowing changes um and then the ending um originally the tune was called Etude number three. I had three etudes on this that I had. To, I decided I'd give them titles ultimately, and I didn't have a title for this one. And um, as we were rehearsing it and playing it over a period of a couple of months, I kept adding cymbal dings at the very end of the tune, where it sort of slows down and rests. And ultimately, I ended up with twelve, which felt just right. So then I realized this. <laughs> It's like the chimes of midnight, you know. So that's that's how the title came. Oh, that's brilliant! Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your interest. I appreciate that so much. Well, I hope you enjoyed listening to my conversation with Peter, and you can hear on this his percussion skills which he talked about during that interview. This track is Ode to JC, Ode, O-W-E-D, brackets, Ode, O-D-E, to John Coltrane, which I think is lovely. And this is from Peter Cogan's album, Just Before Midnight, and this features Quartet One, which is Pete Whitman on tenor, A Baby, Stafford on piano, Charlie Lincoln on bass, and Peter Cogan on drums. I really hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode and do give Just Before Midnight a listen. The links are in the show notes and please remember to share everything that you're good at and let's make this world a little more harmonious. 
and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Harmonious World. My name is Hilary Seabrook and it's a great delight to bring this series of discussions with musicians and composers and writers and all sorts of people to you. Obviously, there's no point in having a podcast if people aren't listening and I'm very grateful to my listeners for doing so. Thanks also to Joe English for composing and performing this new theme tune. So wherever you get your podcast, you can leave a review. You can share this with your friends and family, either as a link or on social media and that sort of thing. I'd be really grateful for that. Don't forget that you can subscribe now. There's a link wherever you get your podcasts. So have a great week and please remember why I started this, which is just to try and make the world a little more harmonious. Thanks for listening to Harmonious World. <laughs>